everyone. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And what's new? Nothing. Having a little bit of technical difficulties tonight, so (laughs) hopefully this all comes out okay. Mostly background noise. I shouldn't say technical. It's mostly background noise. Yeah, I think we'll be good now. And car problems which also hopefully will be okay by tonight so what happened a lot there's just a lot going on with my car right now i don't want to get into it it'll take forever (laughs) okay (laughs) what about with you oh you know same old just work and sleep not much else right now yeah you know what's fun we almost did this recording with me in a haunted warehouse tonight Almost. We were <laughs> Almost. <laughs> I was kind of excited to see if it would have picked up anything in the background, but then there was just way too much feedback noise coming from other things. So plan foiled. That's all right. Maybe one day we'll record somewhere haunted. Yeah, well, I'm thinking that the warehouse that we're moving into, Timo has said, is like 100 years old, so it might be even more haunted than the one we were in. Oh, good to know. yeah any recommendations on your end i started white lotus episode one it was good i think it's just too soon to give any judgment on yet yeah it season one no the second season oh second season Mm -hmm. okay what about you i have been back in my gray's anatomy kick mom and i have always watched that together and then this past year, for some reason, we, I think, I shouldn't say for some reason, we've just been so busy, we kind of fell behind on it, and we got back into it the other day while I was cramped, ridden on her couch. <laughs> <laughs> so, besides that, I haven't really been watching anything else, I think, just Grey's and private practice, because the two are kind of connected, I've just been sucked back into that realm I love private practice. Me too. So good. And I shall soon have some book recommendations probably because I just got some good new ones for Christmas. Good. Yeah, let us know how those are. Yeah, definitely. Do you want to get into our coffee reviews? Yes, let's do it. So I didn't have a coffee to review, spoiler alert, but I did come up with, I didn't make it up. I found this recipe on Pinterest for a peppermint mocha. Yum. Very seasonal of you. I know. And it says it tastes just like Starbucks. It's 10 minutes to make it. So very quick. I'll just read through the ingredients really quick and how to make it. And then we'll post the link to it on our Facebook as well. Perfect. So the ingredients are milk, sugar, cocoa powder, coffee, peppermint flavor, vanilla extract, and then toppings like whipped cream and chocolate shavings if you want. And it says you heat up the milk in a saucepan with the cocoa and sugar until the sugar dissolves. Then you mix in the espresso. I said espresso. I meant espresso. (laughs) Uh, uh, Mint extract, vanilla extract, and then remove that from the heat. And then you pour it into a mug and put whipped cream on top. Ooh, and I'm assuming you can use a milk alternative for that, right? Yeah, I think this recipe, they said, let me see. They used whole milk, but they said whatever is good. Okay, sounds delicious. Yeah, so I'm going to try that. 
Yeah. And any listeners, if you try as well, please let us know. Send pics our way because we've had you guys do that in the past and we love it so much. Yes. And I love hearing everyone's ratings on the coffee recipes. Let us know. So today I swayed from the huge and I actually drank a Nespresso espresso. Nice. Yeah. I tried the Voltesso from them, and it's a light and sweet espresso. It says the intensity is a four, so I was a little bit let down by by this espresso, I'm not going to lie, because I noticed it after I had made it. Let me see. It says nutty and balanced, light and sweet espresso that comes with a biscuity aroma from its fine South American Arabicas. Interesting. So it wasn't, like, strong enough? No, it wasn't strong enough for me, but that's kind of like my bad on my end because it is a lower intensity espresso. I feel like in the light versus dark espresso category, this is definitely on the lighter side. And, hmm. Oh, wait, you didn't. Oh, wait, you couldn't rate your yours. I was going to say you didn't rate yours. <laughs> I would rate this espresso wise because I've had some pretty fucking good espressos, especially. Last week, I had one at a Portuguese restaurant, and it was incredible. I would have to rate this espresso probably a three and a half, four, Mm -hmm. just because it wasn't strong enough for me. The light and sweet part of it, too. I'm not not a big fan on sweetness, so. Okay. Well, Nespresso, you have... There's lots out there, so you can try another one that's maybe darker next time. Yeah, for sure. Cool. we get into it yeah let's do it so grab your coffee and have a morning with us so i'm gonna start off today's case of heather elvis and starting with background as always she was born heather rochelle elvis on june 30th 1993 in 2011 she graduated from saint james high school and she grew up in horry county south carolina She was the oldest daughter in her family, and she lived in Carolina Forest, South Carolina, in an apartment at the time. She moved out shortly after graduating and lived in this apartment with a roommate named Brianna Warlman. Some articles say Brianna Kultzer, so one of them must be her maiden name and one must be her married name. So if you hear both of those, it's the same Brianna. And Brianna actually was originally from out of state. So they were living in this apartment together in South Carolina, but she was from out of state. Heather was 20 years old at the time of the story, and she worked at the Tilted Kilt in Myrtle Beach and the House of Blues in North Myrtle Beach. She was a hostess. I want to go to both of those vicinities. She probably made so much money. Have you ever been to a Tilted Kilt? No, but it sounded really cool because I was looking up what it actually was and it sounded like something I would definitely want to go to yeah there was I think there was one in Robinson area of Pittsburgh at one point if I remember correctly um I just I never went I like passed it but I've heard of them before I like the Scottish vibe that's really cool yeah Heather was studying to become a cosmetologist at the time and in December of 2013 Heather got a job at a beauty parlor in downtown Myrtle Beach And she was to start sometime before Christmas. 
moving on to June 2013, Heather began showing interest in a man named Sidney Moorer. He was 37 years old, and he was married with three children. He worked as a repairman and would repair kitchen equipment at the Tilted Kilt, where Heather worked. So that's kind of how she came into contact with him. Yeah. Apparently, Heather had posted a tweet earlier that month saying she had, quote, a taste for men who are older. Because she was only 20 and he was 37, right? Yeah. So clearly she was kind of hinting, probably in general, at her taste in men, but maybe more directly hinting at him, her taste Mm -hmm. in him. Her roommate, Bree, also worked with Heather and said that she had pointed Sydney out to her at work. Around one month later, Heather allegedly verbalized that she was interested sexually in, quote, the guy who builds things at my job. It was not clear to whom or where she expressed this, but that was a quoted phrase of something she said. July 12th, 2013, there were multiple tweets between Heather and a friend. The friend said Heather had, quote, a lot of explaining to do. Hmm. Heather tweeted mentioning Sydney's name. Four hours later, Heather tweeted, quote, baby did a bad thing. And, quote, I'm in way too deep, but watch me get in deeper. Eventually, a relationship did develop between Heather and Sydney. According to Wiki, Sydney later claimed that their relationship was, quote, primarily confined to September 2013. However, other articles and people speculate that it was a three-month relationship. Wow. So basically, June, when she started expressing this interest in him, to September. Yeah. Potentially. This was not kept hidden from coworkers and friends. Heather would openly talk about it to them. Sydney would show up during Heather's shifts at both restaurants, even when he was not on schedule at the Tilted Kilt. He would bring her things such as bagels or coffee. So I feel like they... That's kind of shocking to me that they weren't trying to keep this a secret at all. Sydney apparently even considered asking Heather to work for him at one point. He and his wife were thinking about moving to Florida, and he was thinking about having Heather be the nanny to their kids if they did. That is so fucked up. I feel like this was probably not a discussion that happened with his wife. Definitely not. That's really fucked up and if it was he didn't explain who heather was he right was unless like, it was like consensual with him and his wife which it doesn't sound like it was that's just messed up yeah there's different things regarding that perspective of it and we can we can discuss that after we cover the whole entire story just with things that were read because it could also be pure speculation or could be falsified information in late September, Sydney tweeted, quote, Once upon a time, an angel and a devil fell in love. It did not end well. I feel like this was such the era of tweeting. It was just an outlet for both of them. Mm-hmm. Soon after, Sydney's wife Tammy found out about this affair. So it was an affair. She was not in on it. I wonder how she found out if it was through his tweets. Or just because they were so open. So, aftermath of the affair, according to Heather's roommate and friend, Brianna, Tammy made Sydney call Heather and end the affair. 
Tammy was allegedly listening to the phone call, like in the background, I assume. And Brianna said that Sydney said, you're, quote, nothing to me, just someone who spread your legs. And that tore Heather apart. Wow, that's oh fucked my- up. That's a really fucked up thing to say. Right, the person that you bring coffee and bagels to at work. Tammy would eventually send Heather texts and pictures of her and Sydney in sexual interactions. That's super fucked up. So messed up. I mean, I feel like at that point, I could see how the wife would be absolutely infuriated by the situation. But to that extent, to then continue to not just let the situation be and let the girl be out of the picture, but... She not only texted Heather, but she would send her photos of them sexually. Right, like provoking. That's so disturbing. Here are also some things that Sydney later claimed happened after the affair. Tammy changed his phone password. Only she knew this password. Anytime he left the house, his wife would go with him. That's literally embarrassing. I'm sorry. Every night, Tammy would handcuff Sydney to their bed. Sydney got her name tattooed above his crotch. (laughs) What the fuck? He said that he agreed to all of this to save their marriage. If that's what you got to do to save a marriage, it ain't worth saving. Yeah, and I had read that someone said that their perspective was he got that tattoo before all of this happened, but a lot of it... A lot of what I read contradicted that and made it sound like he definitely got the tattoo after all of this had happened. Crazy. Even with all these quote-unquote rules put in place, Tammy continued to harass and contact Heather. Like, enough is enough. At one point, she texted Heather, quote, Hey, sweetie, ready to meet the missus? Question mark. Tammy also threatened her and implied that she would kill Sydney. And Tammy tried to get Heather fired from the Tilted Kilt. She would basically call the establishment frequently and would also threaten that Sydney would withhold repairs. So that's kind of what her tactic was, which is so it's like harassing at this point. Yeah, definitely. It's above and beyond. I mean, everyone reacts differently to different situations, but this is this is pretty cray cray. Right. On November 1st, 2013, Heather texted back and told Tammy she was, quote, no one you need to worry about anymore. Heather only texted Tammy back a handful of times. So, like, all these times she's provoking her, she only answered a couple times. Also, November 1st, 2013, Tammy Moore had also messaged someone at some point saying, quote, someone's about to get their ass beat down. Your bitch is about to take her last breath. And the swear words were, like, blocked out, so you couldn't see them fully. But, like, what the fuck? That's definitely a threat and implication of potentially murdering someone. Yeah. This phrasing makes it sound like it was to Sydney. Yeah, I think so, because she's saying your bitch is about to take her last breath. That that sounds like she's referring to his other woman. Right. November 5th, Heather saw Sydney. It was not clarified whether this was at work or otherwise. It was just mentioned in an article, so we figured we'd mention it. She then retweeted a joke from Daniel Tosh. Quote, Hey, married fellas, you can either cheat on your wife or murder her. Never both. That's when you get caught. 
November 19th, Sydney, Tammy, and their kids drove to Disneyland. They returned December 11th. Side note, allegedly, Heather had been concerned that she might be pregnant, potentially from Sydney. Co-workers had noticed changes with Heather. And the Tilted Kilts manager said that Heather took one pregnancy test that she knew of, and it came back as quote-unquote error. What? So... I don't know if that was the only pregnancy test she took, but they said there were noticeable changes and she expressed to people that she felt she could be pregnant. Even so, Heather had started to move on with her life and passed the situation with the Moore family. December 17, 2013, Heather went out on a first date with a man named Stephen Giraldi that began at 10 p.m., They drove around to look at Christmas lights. They also went to the parking lot of Inlet Square Mall, where he taught her how to drive his manual car. Heather sent photos to her dad and roommate of her driving the car. She was then brought home at 1.15 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. 20 minutes later, a call was placed from a payphone to Heather's phone, and the call lasted about five minutes. This is all a quote from Investigation Discovery. Quote, ABC7 reported that phone records show Elvis then called the payphone back nine times. And remember, Elvis is Heather Elvis. Yeah. So she tried calling that payphone back nine times. That's a lot. Yeah. I wonder what was said on that phone call. Or if she was just trying to reach someone who was using a payphone and not a normal cell phone. Like maybe they weren't standing right by the phone. So she kept trying to call back to until they picked up. You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. At 1.44 a.m., Heather called her roommate Brianna to talk about the date. Brianna was home at the time visiting family because, remember, she lived not in that area. And she told her roommate that Sydney called her, stating that he was planning on leaving his wife, and he asked her to meet up with him. Brianna asked Heather why she even answered, and Heather said, quote, because it wasn't his number, meaning he's the one that called from the payphone. Brianna said that Heather was, quote, hysterical during this conversation. Brianna warned Heather not to return Sydney's calls or meet up with him and, quote, not to do anything rash and to get some sleep. That call ended between those two at 1.45 a.m. So it was only a minute, but, you know, enough for Brianna to remember what happened. I bet you it wasn't expected that in between she would call and relay information to someone else. Right. All cell phone activity on Heather's phone stopped this day around 6 a.m. And Heather has not been seen or heard from since that morning, which is fucking terrifying. That is awful. That's absolutely awful. Yeah. And I'm going to get more into like phone calls and everything a little bit later on. But I'm going to move on to the investigation. The night of December 19th, 2013, which was the next day, Heather's green Dodge Intrepid was found, and it was parked perpendicular to the other parking spaces. It was at the Peachtree Landing boat launch in Sacasti, and this was about 8 miles or 13 kilometers from her apartment. That's just such an odd thing to me that really popped out for some reason. Someone's car being parked perpendicular to the parking spaces 
why would they not pull in the parking space? It's like the car was just quickly driven up and left there. Yeah, like it was supposed to be something quick. Mm-hmm. Her car was locked at the time, and there was no broken glass or signs of a struggle. Her phone, keys, and purse were not found inside once they eventually were able to open it. A missing persons investigation quickly started by the Horry County Police in Sheraldi, which was that guy that Heather went on a date with, that he was the last person to see her. He was cleared super quickly in the investigation. A search was done around the area of the boat landing, and Heather was not found. Searches also eventually took place from the riverbed to Winya Bay, and rescue divers found nothing. December 21st, 2013, the CUE Center for Missing Persons joined the search. Her family also created a Facebook page for her, and a $1,000 reward was offered for any information regarding her disappearance. Wow. So I at feel this like point, like everybody's panicking as as they should. I feel like so much was done in such a small amount of time too. The police making it a missing persons case right away. That was such a impressive thing that they just jumped into action. So December twenty fourth, the reward increased to ten thousand dollars. December 31st, the reward was increased to $20,000. My God. New Year's Day 2014, and some articles said December 28th, 2013, so couple-day difference there, but most of the ones I read said New Year's Day. Human bones were found in a nearby area. They were determined to be male. January 3rd, the reward increased to $25,000. And January 20th, it increased to $30,000. So not only was the motivation behind finding her and actually getting a move on with search parties and searching areas and all of that super impressive, but people were putting out these insane amounts of money to, like, back up trying to find her, which is incredible. Cell phone records and security footage, we're going to get into all of that now and try to follow along because there's a lot. Yeah, they did a really good job at, like, nailing everything down. Yeah. So first we'll discuss the cell phone records. At 2.30 a.m. on December 18th, pings show that a call was made from the phone to the payphone, This is the same payphone that was used to call Heather, and no one answered this call. Her phone was then taken to Longbeard's Bar and Grill, and it remained there for 15 minutes. The phone was then taken to Augusta Plantation Drive, which was four miles from Longbeard's. It then returned to Longbeard's for another 15 minutes. I wonder if she was being told places to go or if she was just trying to like kill time i was thinking that she was being told and like she would show up and then be like okay you have to go this place now actually Uh uh-huh or if she was just like this is ridiculous i'm not hearing anything let me go back here okay now i'm gonna go i don't know yeah the back and forth is just another odd fact in this case a call was then made to sydney's phone but there was no answer 
The phone was then tracked back to Heather's apartment, where it stayed for five minutes. Sydney's phone was called again, which was then at his home, and this was a four-minute conversation. At 3.37 a.m., eight minutes after the phone call ended, the phone was taken to Peachtree Landing. One minute later, three attempted calls to Sydney's phone were made, all with no answer. At 3.41, another attempt was made to call Sydney's phone. One and a half minutes later, data records for Heather's phone ended, and its location was identified in the Waccamaw National Wildlife Refuge. Which is really weird. Yeah, like, why is it in a wildlife refuge? With that, like, close to it? I don't know. That's just Mm -hmm. a weird place for it to come turn up. Or is that where it was just pinging from? Yeah. Tammy and Sydney's phones were checked as well. Sydney said that he had given his phone to Tammy on November 2nd as one of the conditions of remaining married. And there was no communication between Tammy and Sydney's phones from November 2nd on until December 18th at 4.37 a.m. That is a major fucking red flag. Right, like no communication until the night that she goes missing. That's so odd. And it's like such early hours in the morning why are you texting that early in the morning you're not you're not together at 4 37 a.m yeah tammy sent sydney a text message asking for the quote pot stickers and orange juice and he replied quote yes ma'am that makes zero sense to me that's definitely some kind of code words Yeah, because, I mean, this is us speculating, obviously, but the fact that you're not with him at 4.37 a.m. the night she went miss or the morning she went missing, and meanwhile, we know from previous information that you were up his ass any second he even left the house. Right. And, yeah, you're asking for pot stickers and orange juice at 4.30 in the morning. Right, those two things don't even go together. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a disgusting combination. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what she was thinking. That that right there is just so freaking weird. Really sketchy. How do you explain that is my question. Yeah. What was the explanation or the reasoning for that? How did they explain what was happening? Right. Now on to their surveillance footage. Surveillance video shows Sydney entering Walmart in Myrtle Beach at 1.12 a.m., purchasing cigars and a fucking pregnancy test, and then leaving after seven minutes. Another red flag. Who is that pregnancy test for? Hmm. Kangaroo gas station footage shows Sydney making a call from a payphone to Heather's cell phone at 1.35 a.m., And then private residence footage from two locations showed a dark Ford F-150 passing towards the direction of the landing at 3.36 a.m. and 3.39 a.m. And then at 3.45 and 3.46 a.m., the car returned in the opposite direction. Hmm. Yeah. The license plate was not visible on these surveillance footages, but... FBI and South Carolina Highway Patrol enhanced the footage and determined that the person in the truck was Sydney. 
really maybe minuscule but interesting fact with the the times as well those are from two locations that truck going there and coming back from both locations right Yeah. on the way there there's a three minute difference between the two locations and on the way back there's a one minute difference meaning on the way back that car was going a lot fucking faster than it was on the way there Mm hmm probably trying to hightail it back to wherever Yeah. again speculation but just Makes sense. interesting And... Even though this footage was determined to be, you know, his truck, the Moors denied being in the area at the time. <laughs> Something else that was odd, police discovered that Sydney had disengaged his pickup's GPS system the night of December 18th. I wonder who does that. Like, what? Like what are what are the explanations for all these weird things? That is so sketchy. Cuz I get if someone has super bad luck too and they're like, "Wow, I actually did this one thing on this night and now everything points to me and let me explain what happened." But all these little things, how do you explain Yeah. all of all of these actually not little things, major red flags? Yeah, so because he disabled his GPS, the police couldn't see exactly where his car had been, which is probably what he wanted. Also, there was security footage from the home of the Moorers, and it showed them washing their car after the 18th. No specific date was listed. And not only did they wash their car, but they burned the rags that they used to wash it, along with the receipt for the pregnancy test that was bought. That's just like the entire thing is sketchy. And how stupid that your own security footage caught all this. And what, again, what is your reasoning for burning these fucking rags and the pregnancy test receipt? Other than Right. sketchiness. Right. And there were some, before I forget to mention it later on, there was some information that had been, be because there was a gag order on some information regarding this case and the gag order had been lifted so some information came out i'm thinking that this was information that was released with the gag order if i remember correctly but something that they had said was he bought that pregnancy test because him and tammy had were having sex and trying to conceive a child and wanted to see if she was pregnant or something like that but So why burn the receipt? yeah exactly and then another thing that they had mentioned was they weren't in that area right apparently <laughs> in some report or another they had mentioned that they were home that night together and didn't leave the house or something But then how was he out getting fucking pot stickers and orange juice somewhere? right, was that like her 4 a.m. craving? <laughs> I don't know. Everything just doesn't make sense. Or there has to be some kind of fucking weird explanation for it because it's just so many red flags. No. So moving on to the arrests and charges... January 28th, 2014, William Christopher Barrett and Garrett Ryan Starnes 
were arrested in relation to the case. They were charged with obstruction of justice. They had posted information regarding the case on social media, and it was false and misleading and caused police to waste valuable time. Wow. So that's why they received those charges. It doesn't really have to do with the disappearance of Heather, but it was related to the case. February 21st, 2014, Sydney and Tammy Moore were arrested. That was a tongue twister. They were charged with kidnapping, obstruction of justice, indecent exposure, and murder. Quote, the Moorers posted the $20,000 bond set for the obstruction and exposure charges, but later waived the bond on the kidnapping charges in favor of the murder charges, on which they were initially held without bond. And that was a quote from Wiki. So basically, they tried to change the charges would claim their innocence, but were thinking they would be released and not have to post bond. What? Right? If I'm reading that correctly? Doesn't make any sense. Because they waived the bond on kidnapping charges and tried to get the bond on the murder charges because they were held without bond on murder charges. That's so weird. Yeah, so that just is... You're, you're like, okay, I'm going to – I'm going to say I'm innocent, but I'm going to take the murder charges instead of the kidnapping charges. Like, right. that makes – because of the bond. Right. Like, that's what I got from that. And I don't know if I'm reading that wrong or reading into it too much, but another thing where I was like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. Early 2015, they were released from jail – a judge accepted Tammy's mother's house as collateral for $100,000 bond for the murder charges. Oh, my God. So there was a bond that they had to post for that. One article stated the bond was actually $100,000 each. So, yeah, that's a lot more than the 20000 they probably would have had to right. do in the first place. The court also eventually allowed the Moors to move to fucking Florida due to threats against their family. Wow, how convenient. Yeah, and again, I mean, there's so many red flags that we can all have our own opinions, but it just makes me lean towards them having some form of guilt in the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, they moved to Florida, and they still had to meet bail conditions while in Florida. They had to wear a GPS monitoring device. They had to stay outside a five-mile radius of the Elvis house, and they had to have no contact with the Elvis family because apparently there were issues between the two families for obvious reasons. Right. March 2016, the murder charges were dropped, quote-unquote, without prejudice. This means they can be reinstated at a later point by the state. There was no body, no murder weapon, or evidence to tie them to the murder of Heather. The indecent exposure charges were also dropped, and the obstruction charge was dropped for Tammy only. Wow. And the indecent exposure charges, 
I had read that those were because of pictures that were found on their phones when they when the police were going through their phones of them doing sexual acts in public places. Wow, way to take pictures of it. Other charges unrelated to Heather Elvis's case were also brought against the Moorers. They were, quote, formally filed as related to Medicaid fraud. Investigators said that on a 2007 application for benefits that exceeded $10,000, the Moors had failed to disclose the income from their businesses. So that was a quote from Wikipedia. So they're also trying to rip off the government. So they're also fraudulent. Yeah. Wow. Seem like really genuinely nice people. Trustworthy. The trial for Sydney ended in a mistrial. August of 2017, he was charged with obstruction of justice, found guilty, and sentenced to 10 years. This was for lying about the payphone. Yeah. Did we mention how apparently he lied and lied until he was caught on camera? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's literally him on the footage. <laughs> October 2018, Tammy went to trial. A conspiracy to kidnap charge was added to her charges, and she was found guilty of both of her charges. Tammy was sentenced to two concurrent terms of 30 years. Holy shit. Wowzers. September 2019, there was a retrial for Sydney. A conspiracy charge was also tacked on to his sentencing. Records produced during trial showed that text messages were also discovered to have been deleted from Sydney's cell phone. Another red flag. Mm-hmm. He's collecting those things like fucking... Like trophies. Beanie babies. <laughs> Except they're not worth anything right now. No. He ended up getting the same sentencing as Tammy. So on to the aftermath. Both Tammy and Sydney maintain their innocence and continue to appeal their convictions. Heather Elvis is still missing. December of 2023 will be 10 years since Heather was taken from her family and friends, which is crazy. That's literally a year from now. (laughs) 10 years, and they're still remaining their innocence. Also, we'll link her the Facebook that we had talked about, but it's called Find Heather Elvis if you want to check that out. Yeah, and I tried looking for any contact information, like information if you know anything about where she is or what was seen that day or overhearing people, rumors, talking, like anything like that. I could not find any contact information in regards to that. So I'm assuming you can probably just contact the county or that police station if you have information. Yeah, and but again, I would, it's the Horry County Police Department, H-O-R-R-Y. Yeah, I would assume you could reach out to them or maybe even send it to the Facebook if necessary. But we don't have any direct contact information. Maybe we can link the Horry Police Department in the show notes just so everyone has some form of number yeah. on hand if needed. Yeah, this is just one of those cases that's going to drive me nuts until there's more information found. Same, and I'm hoping we can bring this one to Laura. Me too. I was thinking that the second we researched it. Yeah. This is just 
such a sad situation and I typically don't like to voice my opinion with playing the blame game on someone because god forbid someone is claiming their innocence and are innocent and wrongly convicted we all know how we feel about wrongly convicted people on this podcast we've covered cases in regards to that but in this situation there's just so many i'm gonna say the word again red flags (laughs) i don't understand how you could possibly get out of all those red flags like explain your way out of it you know what i mean I mean, there's no evidence, so they really, until they find hard evidence, I don't know. And there's no evidence of, like, them being together on the footage Mm -hmm. or anything like that. So they can't really tie it to her, which is crazy. Yeah, I understand that they can't be convicted of it. But I'm just saying, in my mind, I'm speculating a certain way. Yeah, I know. You know, it just... In my mind, I'm like, there's no other explanation unless it was just some kind of random thing. But there's just so many things pointing in that direction. Right. It doesn't feel random. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I feel so sorry for her family. And I really hope that at some point Heather is found and answers come out of all of this because this is just absolutely horrifying. Agreed horrible mm-hmm. yeah I think we'll have to bring this one to Laura for sure anything else we want to discuss before we close out I don't think so do you have anything yeah I don't I don't really think I have anything else to add I feel like I kind of again just like another week want to leave it on this note because this case is just there's so much to it and I'm glad that we could tell the bits that we could find of Heather's story. I wish there was more we could say about her in general. And hopefully we'll be able to at some point have an update episode for everyone in regards to her. Right. So for now, we'll get into our spiel. So you can find us on Instagram at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post the weekly coffee reviews that we do. We post photos there. And then the link tree in our bio shows all of our listening platforms. You can also find us on Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post weekly resources, photos, GoFundMe links, Facebooks, that kind of stuff. Anything that we talk about in the episode. If you have a listener story or a case suggestion... You can email us at crimecoltsandcoffee at gmail.com. Also, you can send us a DM on Instagram at crimecoltsandcoffee. We love to hear from you guys. Yes. (laughs) If you would be so kind to leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, any platform that allows you to. We would greatly appreciate it, and we will send you free stickers if you send us a screenshot so we know it's you. Yep. And then if you can't do that, it's okay. We still love you anyway. You can like, you can follow, you can subscribe on any listening platform of your choice, and that will let you know when new episodes come out each week. All right, guys, and we will see you next week. Uh, Yeah. Bye. Bye.
more information regarding this case and our resources, follow us at Crime Cults and Coffee on Instagram and Facebook.